Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe you heard that the Swedish rock band ABBA is back in concert after 40 years. And uh, I think one of their greatest hits was Mamma Mia. And so this, uh, this group is back together in concert in London after 40 years. But if you go to London to see them in concert, you will not see four septuagenarians on stage singing and dancing. You will see a younger version of ABBA. You will see their digital avatars in concert. And I read about this in, in the article that I read about somebody who attended the concert. He said that one of the members of the group, I think it was Benny, at least his avatar said in the middle of this avatar concert, to be or not to be is no longer the question. <laughs> and he said in an interview later, we're going to die but our avatars are going to live on. And whether it's by digital avatar or some miraculous pill or chirogenics, chirogenics, which is freezing the body after it has died in the hopes that it can be raised to life later, it seems more and more people are putting their hopes for immortality in man-made technology. Some kind of immortality is being looked for here. Now, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Ecclesiastes 3.11 So this longing for eternity, immortality, is a God-giving longing. It's a, it's a good longing. But today, and, and as we commemorate All Saints Day, and we remember those who've gone before us, we're reminded that our hope for immortality is not in man, but in God. Not in creatures, but the creator of life. In our gospel reading, the Sadducees are trying to play theological gotcha with Jesus. This is at a time when there's, the conflict is really heating up between Jesus and the Jerusalem leaders, the religious elite in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are going after him. The Sadducees, it's, it's something that they're trying to discredit him as he nears the end of his mission. And so they come to Jesus, these Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe that God would raise people from the dead. And so they're trying to make belief in the resurrection look absurd. They're trying to make Jesus look Absurd, or at least his belief in this. And so they come up with this scenario. A woman had seven husbands. And all seven died. How would you like to date a woman like that? After hearing about her history. Well, it's kind of a, a silly scenario, but they're trying to make a point here. That whose husband would she be in the resurrection? And um, whose wife would she be, rather, in the resurrection? And in response, Jesus tells us something about what the resurrection state will be like and why we should believe that God will raise the dead. 
And so let's look at what he says. He tells us that those who are raised from the dead will not be married. They will neither marry nor are given in marriage. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. And here's the reason. For they cannot die anymore. They cannot die anymore. So one of the reasons, one of the purposes God gives us for marriage, it's not the only purpose, but one of the purposes is procreation. When we perform a marriage in the Anglican Church, we, at the beginning of the service, we talk about the reasons for marriage. And we say one of the reasons is, is for procreation, the continuation of life. And the reason why Moses had this law in the first five books of the Old Testament in the Torah, this law that if a brother's um, wife, uh, if, a, if a brother died, uh, his brother was obligated to marry the widow if that brother had no children to carry on the name. Because it was this idea that his name would not die after he died. And so is this idea of continuing on the name of the family. But Jesus says that those who are raised from the dead, they, they live forever. So this is not a concern. And he says that they will be like angels or equal to angels. They won't become angels. I hear this sometimes in sort of the way people talk about after this life. That people maybe become like or become angels. And he's not saying they become angels, but they become like angels. Angels, that is, they become immortal, where death cannot touch them anymore. They become the sons of God. That's another phrase. The sons of God in this context is referring to angelic beings. Don't become angels, but we become like angels and that we enter into this uh, eternal life. But the passage makes clear that not only will there not be marriage performed in heaven... But those who have been husband and wife on earth will not exist as husband and wife in heaven. It's contrary, by the way, to what Mormons teach. They teach that some people, at least, will attain to a level of heaven where they will be married. But that's contrary to what Jesus teaches here. So, um, people, especially those of us in good marriages... uh, have a hard time with this. I mean, it can be disappointed, even if your marriage hasn't been a stream of uh, uninterrupted bliss. <laughs> Those of us in good marriages understand that one of the joys of life is marriage and, and family. And so uh, this can be a kind of a disappointing text for, for people in good marriages question is, do we believe what we prayed? We prayed in the Collect today that heaven is a place of ineffable joys. Do we believe what the scripture says? Paul says that um, in 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love Him. So do we believe what we pray, do we believe what the scripture says? Jesus is not saying that we won't recognize our spouses or our children or our loved ones or our friends or our family. He's not saying we won't recognize them, that we won't know them. It's just the marriage relationship will not be part of the heavenly experience. The disciples recognize the risen Christ 
took some doing, right? I'm not a ghost. Does a ghost have flesh? Touch me. If you have something to eat, some fish, I'll eat it. I'll prove to you it's really me. So it took convincing, but they did see that this was Jesus. They came to recognize him in his glorified body. And so I think we can safely say one of the joys of heaven will be being together as a communion of saints in the sheltering presence of God, as Revelation says it. Being together. It's going to be a family reunion without the family drama. There will be no sin in heaven. There will be a wedding, but it's going to be between Christ and his people. Christ is the bridegroom. His people are the bride. And the great love that Christ has for us, the great love that, that we know here, the, the love that was shown on Calvary 2,000 years ago, the love that God pours into our hearts by the Holy Spirit now, the love that we remember every Sunday as we eat the spiritual food of the body of Christ and drink the spiritual blood... That love that we've come to know now and sustains us now will be realized, will be tasted, will be experienced then in a way that is ineffable in the age to come. So the love and the joy that we experience now in our human relationships that we're so thankful for and grateful for is just a couple of raindrops compared to the waterfall that is to come. And that's what we're called to believe. It's hard for us to comprehend. Uh, Marilyn Robinson, a great writer, has a book of uh, fiction called Gilead. It won the Pulitzer Prize. And this book is about two old pastors. I like this book and uh, read it several years ago. But I was reminded of a scene in this book where one of the pastors, his name is Botten, And his friend is talking about Botten. His old pastor buddy, and he, I'll read this passage. He says, um, Boughton says he has more ideas about heaven every day. He said, mainly I just think about the splendors of the world and multiply by two. I'd multiply by ten or twelve if I had the energy. <laughs> but two is much more than sufficient for my purposes. So, he's just sitting there multiplying the feel of the wind by two. Multiplying the grass, the smell of the grass, by two. Jesus says, the age to come, in the age to come, there won't be any longer a need for marriage, but we won't mess out on love. We won't mess out on joy. We won't mess out on pleasure. We won't mess out on happiness. It will be multiplied to an infinite degree. So the, the, the Sadducees... They were like the religious rationalists of the day. If, if they could not grasp it according to their reason, they rejected it. They rejected the resurrection of the body. They rejected the immortality of the soul. They said, it was not, this is not reasonable. This is not rational. They only received the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, which is referred to as the book of Moses here. And they only received those books as authoritative. And so Jesus does something very brilliant here. In responding to these Sadducees as he appeals to the authority that they have. He appeals to Moses. <laughs> this is kind of a good lesson for us when we're talking to people and we're trying to connect with people about our religious beliefs. Try to find a common basis as a starting point. Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about Moses? 
Let's talk about the scene in Exodus 3. The burning bush. And what does God say to Moses? Again, this is a brilliant insight on Jesus' part. God says to Moses, when Moses asks, who are you? He says, I am the God of your forefathers. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. In other words, he's not talking about, I was their God, but now they're dead and gone, so I'm no longer their God. But I am, right now, presently, in relationship with these covenant forefathers. He's still the God of these covenant forefathers because though they died on earth, they live with him in heaven. And friends, I want you to understand something about the love of God. The covenant love of God. That's an important word. Covenant means commitment. And God's love for you is a committed love. God's love for you is a committed love that does not stop with our death. It's a love that endures forever. It's an everlasting love. Those who die in covenant relationship with God through Christ will live with Him. And so, this idea, immortality and the resurrection of the body, it makes sense if you understand the covenant relationship that God has with His people. One commentator puts it this way. The most important reason, he said, why the faithful continue and live after their corporeal death and will one day rise to perfection, is that the chief goal of human life, listen to this, people are asking the question, what is the chief goal of life? What is the purpose of life? Listen to what this man says. The chief goal of life is to enjoy God, to know God, to love God, to be loved by God, to honor God. And he says, how could this be attained if the faithful die after a very brief span of time? God exists in covenant relationship with His people. The purpose of our life is to know Him, to love Him, to honor Him. This will go on. Jesus teaches us here that God's people continue to know Him as God after this life. One day there will be a resurrection, a uniting of soul with a glorified body. I think we can admit sometimes this is hard to believe. Sometimes, like the Sadducees, we can say, this, this doesn't really make a whole lot... I don't see how this is possible rationally. But we have to remember who God is. The power of God. I mean, in the other passages that report on this, in Matthew and Mark, in the parallel passages, Jesus says something very important. It's not, not here in, in Luke, but in the other passages that report on this interchange exchange that Jesus had with the Sadducees... He says, you're wrong. Your theology is off. One, because you don't know the scriptures very well. (laughs) These were experts in the scriptures. You don't really know the scriptures very well. And you don't know the power of God. You're forgetting who God is. The God who created life can recreate life. It's no problem with Him. If He is the creator of all things. Science does a wonderful job of explaining how the material world works, but it can't tell us ultimately where it comes from. And I've told this story before, but bear with me. I like this story. It's kind of a joke here. It's, it's about these scientists that come to God. 
And they say to God, well, they send one of the scientists, they say, you go talk to God and tell him, we don't need God anymore. And so the scientist goes up to God and says, God, um, you know, we scientists, we have, uh, we've learned to clone human beings. We have digital technology. We can create avatars. <laughs> Uh, we can split the atom. We can, we can fly through the air and through space. All sorts of miraculous things that we have learned to do through science. And so, um, he said, we would just like you to go away and mind your own business now. Irrelevant. And, and God says, okay, I, I will do that. But before I go, I want to have a human-making contest. We're going to have a human-making contest. And he said... And we're going to do it the old school way. We're going to do it like I did with Adam. And the scientist said, okay, that's fine. So he bends down and he scoops up some dirt. And God says, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You've got to bring your own dirt. You've, you've got to come up with this stuff. And that's the point. That, that God created out of nothing. Where do we get creation from? How did we get creation out of nothing? Why do we have something rather than nothing? And that's an ultimate question that, again, science can explain the relationship in creation, mechanics of creation, but the ultimate origin of it is God. God who created life. God who sustains life. So our hope in this life and our hope beyond this life isn't, it shouldn't be, in the utopian dreams of Silicon Valley or avatars of digital technology or medical wonders to extend our life beyond this life. But our hope ultimately is in God the Creator. I want to ask you, do you have this hope today? Are you living in this hope today? As you think about your own mortality, as you struggle with disease and sickness, as you are lying in the hospital bed, when you hear about an acquaintance who suddenly died or a friend, when we are at a funeral or at a fresh grave, when you hear the names that we're going to read here of those who've gone before, what is your hope? Are you clinging to the Word of God? Will you hold on to the Word of Christ? who was crucified and then raised to life three days later, who said he is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Will you cling to the word of the resurrected Christ? Notice that Christ talks about in this passage, those who are worthy to attain to the resurrection, he says. Those who are worthy to attain to the resurrection. And in John chapter 5, Jesus teaches that there is a resurrection for all people. A day is coming, he says, when the Son of Man will come and he has the authority to call people from the grave and to be their judge. And Jesus says, that day is coming for the world. And all people are going to be raised, but there are two destinies. He said, some will be raised to eternal life, that is life with God. And some will be raised to eternal condemnation. Life apart from God. What does it mean to be worthy? How does somebody get to a place of being worthy 
to be raised to eternal life. It's not based on what we have done. It's based on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's based on repentance. We repent for our sins. We put our faith in what God has done for us in the cross and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we live for Him. And that's how we become worthy. It's because of the grace of God giving us the faith to trust in Christ. Giving us peace with God. An old preacher said this, Remember, all other preparations are to no purpose if a man is not prepared to die. I mean, we all prepare for journeys, don't we? If we're going on vacation, we make a list. If we're going to the grocery store, we think about what we're going to get. Maybe we make a list. Whenever we're going somewhere, we make preparations. It's a rational thing to do. And Brooks says, none of that ultimately matters if you're not prepared for this journey. Prepared to meet God after this life. As death leaves you, he says, so judgment shall find you. As the judgment finds you, so shall eternity keep you. On this day that we celebrate all saints and we remember those who've gone before, have you made that preparation? Are you ready to meet God? Have you received the salvation that God offers in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're right with God? My prayer is that all of us would know that as we commemorate those who've gone before and look forward to joining around the throne of God in praise to the Lamb who saved us. Let's pray. Maybe there is somebody here that has not uh, repented of sin, has not turned to Christ, His death and resurrection for eternal life. And I would uh, encourage you to do that even today. Uh, to turn to Him in faith and repentance. Acknowledge Him as Savior and Lord of your life. And thank Him for the assurance of eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, in all of our hearts and minds, give us a gift of faith to believe these precious truths. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that not only did you teach these things, but you lived and died and was raised to new life to prove these things. And we pray that uh, we would grow in continual faith and love to you. In Christ's name, amen.